Let's open our Bibles tonight. We're going to open the book of Hebrews. How many of you were here on Sunday? Okay, the rest of you go home. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> kidding. On Sunday, we talked from 1 Corinthians 10, Hebrews 3, primarily. 1 Corinthians 10, in my Bible, now this is something added by the translators, but at the beginning of the, the chapter, it says, avoid Israel's mistakes. And the Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians 10, is not talking to unbelievers. He's not talking to um, backsliders. He's talking to believers. And he says to believers that all these things that happened to our forefathers, all these things that happened to the Israelites in the wilderness, happened as examples for our instruction. Doesn't mean that, that this happened, that they had to go through that so we'd learn something. No, 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 no. He's saying it happened to them, but we can use that as an example. God wants us to learn from it and avoid their mistakes. You know, when your parents tell you, I did something really stupid when I was your age, and I want you to avoid that. You don't say, oh, thank God that they did that. Thank God that they went through that. Otherwise, I, I would have done it myself. No, you just say, you know, they didn't have to go through that. But since they did, I'm glad they warned me about it. What's the difference between us and the Israelites? We talked about it at offering time. The difference is the blood of Jesus is sprinkled. The blood of Jesus covers you, has cleansed you. Because of Jesus Christ, you have a new and better covenant. So... The earth is not going to open up and swallow you. Fiery vipers aren't going to come out and bite you. Probably. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're not going to touch the mountain where God is and, and drop dead. Your, your dog isn't going to come up and, and, and trot up to the mountain and, and fall dead. No, that may have happened to them. But he says, we've come to a different place. We've got the blood of Jesus which speaks better things than Abel. We've been made righteous through him. We understand that. But what the Israelites have in common with us is they had a promise that had to be pursued, it had to be taken. It was granted, it was given, but had to be taken. Do you understand? They already had the check. It was already signed, the money was in the account, but they had to cash the check. God had promised them this land. He didn't promise it because they were such good little kids in Egypt. He promised Abraham, and Abraham said, I'm passing that on to my son. And Isaac said, I'm passing them on to my son. And because God promised Abraham these things, he promised them all these things. And so they weren't going to the promised land because they were good kids. They were going to the promised land because it had already been promised to them. And God was keeping his promises. He always keeps his promises. So we're going to go along the same line that we did on Sunday. We're going to build on it, and, and, and I, I hope that you'll be encouraged because we're not just going to talk about their mistakes. We're going to talk about the ones that did it right. We're going to talk about those that did inherit the land and those that did go into the promised land. And I believe that's you. You know, there are several places in Scripture. Do you remember, how many of you can tell me the first commandment with a promise? Right. It's about parents, isn't it? Honor your father and mother. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It says, when you honor your father and mother, you'll live long on the earth. The Bible says this is the first commandment with a promise. Honor your father and mother. Now, do you know that that promise had another part to it? It wasn't just live long on the earth. It says it'll live long in the land which God has given you. And there were several promises in the Old Testament that he gave to those Israelites that he said, I will do this, I will bless you in the land I'm giving you. I will do this in the land that I'm giving you. You will go and you'll do this in the land that I'm giving you. See, God had a land in which they were meant to thrive, in which they were meant to prosper, in which they were meant to succeed. God had a place for them. And you know, many times the promises of God that he gives us, sometimes there's like one big promise that has a bunch of other promises stuffed inside of it. That, that that is the promise. And, and when you obtain this, when you get here, there's all these other things He's got for you. But you've got to remember, it's promised. And if it's promised, it's about God's ability to do it, not my own. What I need to do is have faith. 1 Corinthians 10, remember all the things that He told us to avoid? He said, don't crave what they craved. He said, don't crave evil things like they craved. What did they crave? They craved meat instead of what God was giving them. They wanted meat instead of manna. Says, don't, he says, don't 
be immoral like they were immoral. How are they immoral? He, gave us, he gives us an example of exactly what he's talking about because he tells us how many people died. And if you look it up, at that incident, they started serving other gods. These Moabite women came along and lured them and they started bowing down to other gods. Not trusting in their own God, but needing something they can see and trust in. It says, don't be idolaters like they were idolaters. What did they do? They made a big golden calf because he can see a golden calf. I can't see God, but I can see this. It says, don't grumble like they grumble. Don't whine like they whine. Don't test God like they tested God. And all of these things, as we studied on Sunday, all of these things actually came from the same problem. They didn't believe God. Their faith got weak. Their faith wasn't there. The reason they built a golden calf is because they didn't trust God. The reason they followed other gods because they didn't trust God. The reason they wanted meat was because they didn't trust God's provision. The reason they were whining and grumbling was because they didn't like what God was doing, where He took them. They didn't trust God. All of this came from a lack of faith. Hebrews 3, we're going to look at that again. In Hebrews 3, he says this. We're going to go and we'll start in verse 7. He says, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Some people say, Well, God hardened my heart. Here he says, You don't harden your heart. If you hear His voice, you've got a choice. I did not mean for that to rhyme. If you hear His voice... There's no neutral option. There's no ignoring the voice of God. You ignore the voice of God, that's a response. No response is a response. No response is a no to God. You may say, no response, I can't be wrong, I didn't respond at all, so he can't take a yes or a no. No, that's a straight out no. No response is saying to God, no, I don't need... And then what happens when you say no to God or you ignore God is that your heart gets a little bit harder. It gets harder to hear Him next time, harder to believe Him next time. Now, God can soften that heart, can't He? But better not to get hard in the first place. He says, today if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. How do you keep from hardening your heart? You listen to the voice of God. You respond to it. You respond in faith. The Bible says that the problem with the Israelites is not that they didn't hear, but that when they heard, they didn't mix it with faith. Do you know you could get a terribly hard heart by going to church all your life and never doing what you heard? You can nod, you can say yes, you can say amen, but on Monday, do you believe what you heard? Because the true test of your faith is not in church. That's where faith comes, by hearing and hearing the Word of God. Not just in church, but in your time at home, in the Bible, in your conversations with other believers. God will bring you faith through hearing His Word. But that's not the test. The test is when you have to put that faith into action. When you heard something from God... And now's the time that you actually have to believe it. Do I believe the Word of God? The test is not when things are going well. The test is usually when the first mountain comes and you have to find out, can I really say to this mountain, move? The test of David's faith came in stages. Of course, David, King David, he tested his faith with the lion, with the bear, and then the ultimate test was with the giant test of his faith wasn't just saying, okay, God, I believe you can. You th some people think that that's what faith is. I believe God can kill the giant. Oh, God could kill the giant if he wanted to kill the giant. Like God's just going to come and strike the giant with a lightning bolt. He could do that. Yeah, he could. What if David had said that? If it's God's will, he would have sounded so holy saying it too. If it's God's will, the giant will fall. But if it's God's will, the giant will stay there and make fun of God and make fun of us and probably kill us all. Will of God. Now what did he say? I know it's God's will. I know it's not the God's will for this giant to be blaspheming God, to be speaking of us this way. So he goes, who's this guy? He says, if it's God's will, here's what, here's, it's God's will that this guy stops talking like that. So he picks up some rocks, he picks up a slingshot, and says, okay, I believe God can kill the giant. And if I believe God can kill the giant, I believe he can use me to kill the giant. 
So he kills the giant. You know, all those people in the background that go, theoretically, God could kill the giant. They didn't get used to kill the giant. You'll have many people in your life that go, I do believe that God could heal you. They never touch anybody. never pray for anybody. Or if they do, it's so weak and wimpy. It's so multiple choice that they get exactly what James says. For those who are double-minded, he says, don't let you think you'll receive anything. They get what they're asking for. Nothing. Oh, I believe God could heal. I believe God could cause me to burst out in other tongues. Has that ever happened? Has that ever happened in your church? I've had, I've had people say this, and I love them. I believe they're born again. I'm praying that they go further, and I'll never tell you your, their names. Thank God. Because they're my brothers, and I'm not interested in embarrassing them. I want them to come further too. But because you're here, I want to tell you, you're going to run into people that say, well, we do believe in speaking in tongues just when God does it and, and it only happens in a certain state and they'll, they'll put all these parameters on it and here's the question you go have you ever seen that happen no I've never seen that happen but I heard one time that it happened over here you go, well how can you proclaim yourself an expert in something you've never even seen there is a point where you say if I believe it's God then I believe he can use me believe it's God's will for you to be healed, I'm going to have some guts and say, I'm going to pray for you. And not just be a wimp and go, well, if God wants to heal you, He will. What if Jesus had done that? What if Peter and John had done that? Silver and gold have we none. See ya. <laughs> no, Peter says, here's what I do have. What I have. He considered... He said, I have the ability to pray for you. And you get healed. And he didn't even really pray for him. He just told him to get up. Why? Because he was Jesus' right-hand disciple? No, because he was a believer. And Jesus said, here's what believers will do. They'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So Peter says, what I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. When's the last time you considered that you have that? Not just that God has it, but that God has given it to you. Praise God. Hey. So, don't harden your heart. As when they provoked me, we're back in verse 8, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. And it says, where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. So we're not talking about unbelievers who just never ever saw a miracle. We're not talking about people that never heard the word of God. Hard hearts are not usually... We've talked about this before. Hard hearts aren't usually unbelievers. Those are usually blind eyes. Sometimes it's a hard heart. I agree. But you know the hardest hearts are people who have heard the Word and just never did it. People that heard the Word and never really believed it. Those are the hardest hearts. He says, Saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was angry with this generation and said they always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways. As I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now, look what he says in verse 12. He links it to you. He says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart. So we think unbelief is a tame thing. Well, it's okay. They're, they're just, they just aren't there yet. I'm, I don't think you need to judge anybody else's heart. God didn't make you the judge of their heart. God made you the judge of your own heart. The Bible says we need to judge ourselves. And so what you need to look at your heart, you don't need to condemn your heart. You don't need to convict yourself. What you need to do is evaluate your heart and say, do I believe what I say I believe? And the test is, when things are going bad, what am I saying? How do I feel? Do I find myself frustrated often? Do I find myself depressed often? Do I find myself discouraged often? Because you're not discouraged, depressed, or frustrated when you think you're winning. That happens when you think you're losing. If you think you're losing, you don't believe what you think you believe. Right? I mean, if you knew what He knows, you'd never be depressed another day in your life. If you knew what He knew, 
You would never be frustrated. You'd just say, faith and patience, I'm inherit the promise. I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to lose heart. Because the Bible says that you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. You may have tripped. You may have had a stumble. You know, get up. Don't sit there and cry over your wound. You've got to know what He's done. You know who He is and you know who you are. So get up and keep moving. Thank God. So He says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Remember I said we don't judge each other's heart? But we also don't... I mean, if we do, know. I'm not patting you because I think this is you, buddy. I'm just patting you because you're here. If we do know that our brother is exhibiting signs of unbelief, that they're obviously they don't, that they're having a hard time, they're falling backwards, he says, take care that none of us have an unbelieving heart. And there's a way to keep that from happening. We talked about it on Sunday. I'll, I'll, I'll remind us again today. He says, and falls away from the living God. So an unbelieving heart, that's not a, a small issue. Unbelieving heart is an evil heart. You need to get used to that. You, I mean, sometimes we think, I have the right to feel this way. I have a right to feel like this for just a little bit. I have the right to whine for a little bit. I, okay, let me whine for a little bit, then I'll get holy again. Let me whine for a little bit, and then I'll act like a Christian. No, 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 no. That's, that's evil. Get away from it. I'm not telling you you're going to hell. I'm not telling you bad things are going to happen. But I'm going to tell you, good things aren't going to happen until you change your mind. You're not going to get your promise until you get back in faith. You're not going to receive the blessing of the Lord unless you're willing to reach out and grab it and a whiner doesn't grab it. <laughs> Thank God. I'm going to say this with a smile so you know I love you. I don't, believe you're, I don't believe you're a bunch of whiners. We need to remind ourselves. I'm just doing what he's saying we need to do in the next verse. He says, but encourage one another. That's how you keep others from falling into that same trap. You encourage them. If you hear somebody whining, you don't beat them up for whining. You just encourage them with the word. You say, oh man, did you forget? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world? I know you didn't forget that. You know what, you, you know what I... You, you see somebody that's having a hard time and their head's down and, and they just think the, the end of the world is here. I'm not talking about it in the good way. I'm talking about end of their world. I mean, it's just depression and discouragement and it's coming out their mouth, just vomiting all over you, just terrible, you know? And you know what? Instead of just saying, I, I can't be friends with you anymore, encourage them. Now, if they refuse to be encouraged, maybe you do need to reevaluate that relationship. But most of us here have had down days. Most of us here have let ourselves fall into the flesh. I happen to have a wife that encourages me, and she doesn't let me talk like that for very long at all. And here's what your flesh wants. Your flesh goes, stop it. I want you to whine with me for a while. Quit being so holy. Whine with me for a while. I want you to know, no, okay, I know what the Bible says. But don't you know what I'm going through? Don't you know what I'm dealing with? It's, it, it will bug your flesh. It will irritate your flesh sometimes. If you're letting the flesh win, usually when you're in a whining state, you're letting the flesh win. And the flesh is immediately irritated by a spouse that refuses to whine with you, but instead tells you the Word of God. The flesh hates that. The flesh wants to whine. The flesh wants to cry. The flesh wants to have miserable company. But when you have a godly spouse or a godly friend, if you don't have a godly spouse, get a godly friend. When you have somebody in your life that will encourage you, you won't like it at first. You'll be, for a split second, depending on where you are in this walk, for a split second you may just be irritated with them, thinking that they're just trying to toe the company line. Oh, you're such a teacher's pet. But you know what? If you'll just receive what they're saying, it'll build you up again. When the paramedics come along, you don't want them to sit there and cry over your broken leg. You don't want them to say, oh, you're bleeding to death. I'm so sorry. It must be hard. How are you feeling? I'm not feeling so good. I know it must not be feeling good. <laughs> Give me a hug. Oh, how is that for you? You know what? You want them to bandage you up. You want them to give you some medicine. Take me to the hospital. You need friends that will take you to the hospital. Like those friends that brought their crippled paralyzed friend to Jesus, lowered him through a roof. I don't know if he was on board with that or not. 
<laughs> he was paralyzed. Wasn't much he could do about it. <laughs> he could have been screaming the whole time, guys, put me down, guys, put me down. I don't know. Now, he probably was on board. I, I trust that he was. I mean, if he was smart, he was on board, right? He was on a board. Alright. I'm sure he did get on board because you know we know faith. Faith. Jesus said many times, your faith has made you whole. He probably got on board at some point, but here's the deal. Whether or not he did, he had friends that were willing to not just sit around and cry with him. And sit around and say, Boy, too bad. Jesus is healing all those other people. Too bad he can't heal you. Or even friends that say, that get to the door and go, oh man, we were so ready to take you to see Jesus, but the place is full and we can't get in. You get friends that can go outside the boundaries. See, faith, and I believe this, faith will take you outside the boundaries. Faith will cause you to think outside the lines of what we can do and say, what can God do? I mean, Joshua, there is nowhere in the Bible where God says, tell the, tell the earth to stop going around the sun. Tell the sun to stop in the sky. If you tell it, I'll make it happen. God didn't ever say that to him. But God told him, don't let any of these little suckers get away. So Joshua goes, it's getting dark, they're getting away. Okay. Sun stands still. Moon stands still. And you go, ha, but in science class, the sun's not moving around the earth. Yeah, yeah, I know that. He just said, stay in the same place in the sky. God knew that what it took was for the earth to stop. I don't know all of the details about how God made that happen. That's a complex procedure, but He's God. So, you know, if anybody can figure it out, it's God. And Joshua didn't need to know how it was going to happen. He didn't even, he didn't have, God had never told him, I'll do this for you. But he knew this is in line with the will of God. So I'm going to go ahead and think outside the box here and just ask for it. What can I lose? Right? What, what's, what's the worst that could happen? doesn't happen well then you're just right back where you were anyways we have some faith some audacity some guts and say hey if God promised this he's able to make it happen he may just have to do some weird things to make it happen but he can do that praise God so he says encourage one another day after day as long as it's still called today we still call this today yes we do so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin for we become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoke me. For who provoked him when they heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that he would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And here, like we said on Sunday, we're about to find out the sin that kept them out. The sin that kept them out was not building a golden calf. The sin that kept them out was not even worshiping other gods. The sin that kept them out wasn't grumbling or whining. The sin that kept them out says they were not able to enter because of unbelief. The Pharisees kept the law better than anybody else in the land, they kept the rules. They didn't mess up. They had a cleaner life than most people. But Jesus said, your life is just a whitewashed tomb. It's nice on the outside. It's disgusting on the inside. It's dead on the inside. The Pharisees kept all the rules but had no faith. You can keep all the rules, guys, and still miss the point. Have faith. Believe. And belief will cause you to keep all the rules too, but in a different way in a different way, not in that empty, legalistic way, but instead fulfilling the, w the will of God, and the, the law of love and the law of liberty in your life, being able to walk into the plan and purposes of God with power. The difference is you don't just have a form of godliness, you've got the power that you need. Praise God. So here's the deal. They weren't able to enter because of unbelief. How many years was God angry with them? Forty. You know, they were in the wilderness longer than that. I mean, well, I mean, they died in the wilderness, but you know those 40 years had a purpose. God said the reason you're going to have to be in the wilderness for 40 years is because your spies spent 40 days looking at the land. And you have to spend one year for every day they were looking at the land. Isn't that a weird thing? You go, God, why did you, 
why, why do we have to do f- f- a year for every day? Why are we even going by how many days they spent in the land? What difference does it make if they spent 40 days, 10 days, 50 days? Because those were the days that they were meant to confirm the Word of God. But instead those spies, the Bible said, had an evil report. Why was it an evil report? For those of you that may not know, let me just sum up what happened. God had said, you're going to the promised land. They came. They got to the promised land just like He promised. He said, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. He says, send 12 spies into the land. Those spies were meant to come back and say, everything that God described is true. It's got huge grapes. It's got milk. It's got honey. It's perfect. There's some cities, but God can handle those things. We're good. The land is just as good as He said it was. But instead, what happened was, 12 12 spies, one for each tribe, came back. Ten of them said, they're too big. They're too strong. We can't go in. We look like grasshoppers to them. We can't go in. We're going to get eaten up. Our kids will be their prey. And only two said, if God promised it, we can have it. And they'll be our prey. Those two spies were the only two people out of the original group that left Egypt. The only two people that made it to the promised land alive. Because they believed God. Now we're going to look at something in Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy is well known uh, for having much of, the, much of the commandments and much of the law and also some of the story. The word Deuteronomy means just the second law. Second time the commands of God were recorded. But the original Hebrew name for this book actually was just the words, these are the words. That's what the Hebrew name of the book meant. and Because that, those are the first words in the book. These are the words. And so that's what they called it. These are the words. It's <laughs> a good name for it. Actually, let's hold our place in Deuteronomy 1. I just want to sum up for you what the spies said when they came back. So, And we're going to just just because I, I realize I'm assuming a lot here and I don't want to assume too much. I want to walk us through it as it happens so that you can see God faithfully kept His Word. You know, God always keeps His Word. And if God says, I'm bringing you there, He will bring you there. Your job is not to make it happen. Your job is to believe Him. And when He says go, you go. When He says stay, you stay. When He says say this, you say this. When He says shut up, you shut up. That's all you have to do. He doesn't say you have to make it happen. He doesn't say you have to be the smart person that figures it out. You just have to say, okay, I believe you. Numbers 14. Sorry, 13. Verse 25, when they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told them and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Shut up now. That's the best you're going to get. Just be quiet. All right, God was right. We proved it. We came back, brought it back. Okay, done. Let's go in. Should have been quiet right there, but they weren't. (laughs) Because they saw that God was right, but God missed something. He didn't know there were big old giants living there. He didn't know they had fortresses. God must have saw this land. He must have been looking at an old map or something. He didn't know all this was there. He was right about the milk and the honey. Guys, if there was milk and there was honey there, there had to have been people there. There weren't just cows wandering around, dripping milk on the ground. Come on, guys. Of course there's people there. Maybe you just thought they were going to be nice, friendly farmers. What did you think were going to happen? Oh no, they've got swords. In order to get to the promised land, they had to fight people with swords and spears, but these guys are bigger. They fought a battle 
where Moses, whenever he lifted his arms, they were winning, and when his arms fell down, they started losing. At that point, you should have realized, guys, there's something weird about the way we're winning. Maybe we're not winning because we're stronger. Isn't that weird? Have you noticed every time he lifts his arms, we start doing better? I felt an energy. I didn't get tired that whole time. Odd. At that point, you go, wait a second. I'm cluing in here. God is helping us win. So if God's the one helping you win, is He only strong enough to help you beat these guys, or is He strong enough to beat you like anything? doesn't matter if it's giants. doesn't matter if it's some mythical creature that doesn't even exist. If He's doing the fighting, what are you worried about? So <laughs> they said, and this is its fruit. Uh-oh, verse 28. Nevertheless, oh, that's the worst word you can say when you're talking about the promises of God. Never say nevertheless. Don't say but. Don't say however. Shut up. Just say he said it. It's right. Good. All right, let's move on. You don't say God promised it. It turns out he's right. Nevertheless, that's a bad word. You know, you can use that word on the flip side. God uses it on the flip side. The enemy came at us like a flood. Nevertheless, the Lord raised the banner. Oh, the enemy tried to kill us. I mean, we were, we were stopped at every turn. Nevertheless, the Lord is faithful and we've overcome. I mean, use it in that sense. Don't use it after you say a promise of God. He says, nevertheless, the people who lived in the land, who live in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country. And the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses. Because at this point, the, Moses are, the people are going, oh no. They're grumbling, they're complaining, they're screaming. And Caleb quiets the people. How do you think he did that? Do you think he said, now, there, there, come on, come on now. It's okay. Okay, shh, shh, shh. Now, everybody's loud, right? He probably was very forceful in how he said, quiet. And you can imagine in your own minds how he does that. And Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we shall surely overcome it. Listen, he says, We should by all means go up and take possession. It's like when somebody gives you something in their inheritance. It's already yours. The lawyers called you. It's yours. What do you have to do? Go and take possession. You don't have to answer a bunch of riddles. You don't have to win a competition. You don't have to keep your hand on the truck for 24 hours. Just go and take possession. God has promised it. We just go and take possession. Look how, look how he looks at this. Totally different than everybody else. But... The men who had gone up with him said, We're not able to go up against them, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report. Literally it says an evil report. An evil report doesn't mean they talked about witches and goblins and Satanists. An evil report means it was a report that was full of doubt. You might think you're the voice of wisdom in somebody's life when God has put something inside them. It's backed up by the Word. It's not a crazy fantasy, but it's something that's solid and built on the Word of God. And you're the one that says, do you realize how hard that's going to be? Oh, do you realize all the problems? You might think, I'm being the voice of wisdom. But you may be the voice of an evil report. So watch yourself. Unless you know it's God. Keep your mouth shut until you hear from God. That's all I'm asking you to do. Because there will be people that come to you and go, God told me to start a church for puppies. And, and you have to... <laughs> and you know it's not God. <laughs> and you go, uh, Pastor Jonathan said, Jonathan said, don't tell them no if God said. Well, you hear from God. And if you know in your spirit that's not God and you back it up with the Word and, and you know that you know and don't say anything until you know. You know it's not God. Then you can say, let's pray about that again. Let's, let's just pray about that again. Have you talked to somebody about this? And you know, you can, you can help them along. But sometimes people are really on fire for God. There, there are people that are on fire for God. You know, we, uh, I grew up in a youth group 
that all of a sudden caught fire. And I remember we had people, young guys that were on fire for God, thrilled and, and pumped, and, and somehow the world is okay with them being pumped up for God. But there are Christians that are stale and they're just tired and, and they always say these things. Well, I was like that too. But it'll wear off. Don't you worry. I was like that too. But when it settles down, don't get discouraged. You know, those people, that, that's an evil report. You don't have to listen to it. So he says they bring back a, a bad report, an evil report of the land which had been spied out saying... The land through which we have gone and spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, really. And all the people whom we saw are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the son of Anak, are part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Of course, we've said this before. They didn't ask them, do we look like grasshoppers to you? If you compared us to an insect, which one would you pick? They didn't say that. They didn't talk to anybody. Nobody pointed at them and said, look, a grasshopper didn't happen they were spies they were sneaky they just assumed we think we're grasshoppers so they must think we're grasshoppers then all the congregation lift up their voices and cried and the people wept that night now is that a faith response God brought you to the promised land spies come back and instead of saying Caleb said we can do it I believe that God said we could do that they cry and they whine do you see this this is what I'm talking about when things don't seem to be working out like you think they're supposed to. And you, you believed God on Sunday when God said you can have it. But on Tuesday when it doesn't seem to be happening, you start having a pity party. Here's the response you don't need to have. is start to cry and whine and mourn like you've just lost somebody. It's grief that comes over you. That hope deferred makes a heart sick. So don't lose your hope. There's nothing, I mean, there's times to cry. But we cry for different reasons. We don't cry because we think God's failed us. We don't cry because we think His promise is no longer going to happen. If you're crying for that reason, stop crying. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. You know, whenever God seems to fail somebody and they, they lose their hope in God, they generally blame their leaders. You're the ones that told us this would work. You're the ones that said this would happen. If I did this, if I prayed this, if I said this, I wouldn't be in this situation. My marriage wouldn't be falling apart. My kids wouldn't be swearing at me. I wouldn't have all this. Thing. You know, sometimes those things still happen. Your job is to hold on to the word, hold on to faith, not give up, and don't blame people when this happens. There's no perfect kids. There's no perfect husbands. No perfect wives. No perfect situations. That's when you need faith is when it seems to not be true. That's when you need to be strong. Don't take those attacks as evidence that God is wrong. Use your faith and know He's right. Here's what he says. All right. He says, Would that we had died in the land... <laughs> this is great. Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we had died in this wilderness... Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Yeah, that's why God wanted to do it. He thought it'd be funny. What a prank. It's on his new prank show. Bring the Israelites out of Egypt and watch them die there instead of in Egypt. He says, our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? I mean, come on, guys. This whole story starts by them crying because they're getting beaten up too much in Egypt. They're getting whipped, they're being cruelly treated, they're slaves, and they're being treated really, really badly. And now they're saying, wouldn't it be better to just go back? That's what fear will do to you. It'll drive you back to slavery if you let it. He said, so they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. <laughs> this happens in real life. Guys, this happens to us now. When people stop believing, I mean, people get tired and they don't want to believe this message anymore. I'm going to tell you the truth because I've grown up in it. I've been here long enough to know that people believe the word. They say, nothing's going to shake me from this. I believe it to the very core of my being. I'm with you. I'm, I believe this message. We'll be preaching it until the end of the, until Jesus comes back. I believe it. And then when they stop believing, they get discouraged. Do you know what they do? They look and they go find themselves a leader that will take them back to Egypt. 
I will find myself a leader that won't preach this stuff so I don't feel bad every time I come to church. I will find somebody that doesn't preach, have faith in God, but rather says, sometimes this stuff happens, I don't know why. I, I want one leader that will take me back to Egypt. Thank God I could go back to Egypt and nobody will make me feel bad for going back to Egypt. But thank God there are, there are a lot of good leaders, not just this church, but all, all around that are willing to say, have faith in God. Don't you dare go back to Egypt. Don't you dare go back there. I'm going to stick with you. I'm going to bug you until you turn around and start heading towards the promised land again. He said, in verse 5, Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. That means it's better than we thought. Exceedingly good means good is not good enough to describe this land. It is so good. It's an exceed and you know why it was so good? God didn't bring them into the promised land because it was a good land. God made it a good land because it was promised to them. God didn't pick a land that was already good. The reason these people living in this land had it so good was because God was preparing it for His people. He says, oh, they said it's an exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then He, He will bring us into this land. Listen to that. He will bring us. Isn't that different than we have to go do it, we have to go try hard? He says, He will bring us in the land he's the strong one he's the boss he'll do it you guys are thinking about how big you are how strong you are how weak you are let's think about how big God is God is able and if God is able we're going in he will bring us into the land a land which flows with milk and honey only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land you know when you fear people instead of fearing God you fear you, you look for people's approval and God's approval that is rebellion you don't need it he says don't fear the people of the land for they will be our prey literally in the Hebrew it says they will be our food their protection has been removed from them and the Lord is with us do not fear them the Lord is with us don't fear them the Lord is with us don't fear them but all the congregation said to stone them with stones. We're great. They gave their best I have a dream speech. And people say, pick up a rock. I'd rather die than trust God. Isn't that weird? Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. And can I tell you, this isn't a good God came to visit us meeting. <laughs> this isn't, oh good, God's coming. This is a you just got called in the principal's office meeting. The glory of the Lord appeared. Can we skip to uh, Deuteronomy 1, back where you held your place? And we'll, we'll close with this chapter, so just stay hooked in. Deuteronomy 1, he says, These are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel across the Jordan in the wilderness. Do you know across the Jordan means not yet in the promised land? That was when they crossed in, was when they crossed that Jordan. God made it split in front of them. I mean, that wasn't the first thing they did in the promised land. But it was, a, it, was, it was the first thing they did. I shouldn't say first thing. It was like the big thing they did before they got to Jericho that really freaked the people of Jericho out. And they had already conquered some people. Jericho had heard of the people they had conquered. But this is across the Jordan. They're not where they need to be. And it says, In the Arabah, across Suf, between Paran and Tophel, and Laban, and Hazaroth, and Dizahab. It is eleven days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. In the fortieth year, on the first day of the eleventh month, Joseph, Moses sorry, spoke to the children of Israel according to all that the Lord had commanded him to give them. After he defeated Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth and Edre, across the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to expound this law, saying, The Lord our God spoke to us at Horeb, saying, You've stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and set your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all their neighbors in the Arabah, in the hill country and in the lowland and in the Negev and by the seacoast, the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. He just gave them a huge land to live in. See, 
What does he say? See. That's an important word. See. What does God want you to see? What he's promised. What he said, what he's promised, what he's given you, that's what you look at. He says, see. I have placed the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to them and their descendants after them. Now we're going to skip down to verse 19 because between then he talks about the fact that he had other people work as judges. Verse 19, he says, Then we set out from Horeb and went through all the great and terrible wilderness which you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, just as the Lord our God had commanded us. We came to Kadesh Barnea. I said to you, you've come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is about to give us. There should have been a shout in the crowd in the Israelites' camp when they heard this. We've come to the place that the Lord is about to give us. Get excited. But instead, they get afraid. See, listen to that again. See, the Lord your God has placed the land before you. Go up, take possession, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has spoken to you. Do not fear. This is not a suggestion. This is not advice. This is not some godly counsel. This is a command. Do not fear or what? Be dismayed. Do you know what being dismayed feels like? We felt dismayed before? Like you figure it's not working. It's supposed to be working. It's not working. You ever felt like that? After you prayed? Yeah. After you spoke the word into a situation. After you did everything the preacher told you to do. After you did everything the book told you to do. After everything you knew to do. It still didn't seem to work yet. Were you dismayed? You can't be dismayed. Keep pressing. Be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit promises. Then all of you approached me and said, Let us send men before us, that they may search out the land for us and bring back to us word by which, of the way by which we should go up and the cities we shall enter. The thing pleased me, and I took twelve of your men, one man for each tribe. They turned and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eskol and spied it out. Then they took some of the fruit of the land in their hands and brought it down to us. And they brought us back a report and said, It is a good land which the Lord our God is about to give us. You notice he doesn't mention the bad reports because he's not even listening to that. Yet you were not willing to go up but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God and you grumbled into your tents. That means when you go home and you think nobody's listening and you and your family, you and your friends, you and your spouse begin to talk about, well, they can believe that but it doesn't quite work for us. God knows what you're saying in your tents. And, and you know, don't, don't waste your time. He says, you grumbled in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us. <laughs> because the Lord hates us. He walked us through the, the, the sea and split before us. The Lord hates us. He gave us water that came from a rock. Because the Lord hates us. He gave us manna from heaven to eat. Because the Lord hates us. We all would have died, but He healed us instead. Does that sound like a God that hates you? No. Because the Lord hates us. He's brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the land of the Amorites to destroy us. Why would God do this? Where can we go? Our brethren have made our hearts melt. You hear that? They made our hearts melt. Remember, what did the Bible say in Hebrews 3 we were supposed to do? Encourage. Strengthen hearts. Give people strength in their hearts. Make those hearts stand. When everybody else's hearts fail, we stand. But it said, the bad report made their hearts melt. Saying, the people are bigger and taller than we. The cities are large and fortified to heaven. And besides, we saw the sons of the Anakim here. Can I say this again? I said it on Sunday. If you're depressed, if you're discouraged, if you think things aren't working out and you're dismayed, I can understand that. God understands that. Don't get all beaten down but get out of it and if you're not out of it yet don't keep talking because the Israelites didn't get in trouble for thinking things they got in trouble for grumbling and muttering and Jesus said you're not defiled by what goes in uh, your mouth you're defiled what comes out of your mouth you got a bunch of doubt in your heart you speak what you may not feel you look in the word and you speak the word don't open your mouth and whine don't open your mouth and grumble not only for your own sake but for the people around you 
Because who knows whose heart may melt because you were refusing to listen to what God had said. Now he says, Then I said to you, here's what you can say. Guys, I'm telling you, I'm not looking at a group of people that I consider to be the grumbling Israelites. I'm looking at a group of people that I consider to be the Joshua and Caleb's that go in. So don't get all beat up and think, am I that guy? You are going to be the Joshua and Caleb going into the land. Here's what you should say. This is what Moses said. Do not be shocked, nor fear them. When you get bad news, don't be shocked. Don't fear. The Lord your God who goes before you him will Himself, Himself, fight on your behalf. This is going to be a cool part we're about to read. He will fight on your behalf just as He did for you in Egypt before your eyes and the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you just as a man carries his son. Wow. In all the way which you've walked until you came to this place. He goes, look at this, guys. This whole time, God carried you here. He carried you like a dad carries his son. Why are you so afraid? See, they looked back and saw the hard things they had had to face. But faith looks back. Faith looks in front of you. Faith looks now and its future, but it also looks back and says, you guys think you had such a hard time. What you don't see is that God was carrying you that whole time. He says, but for all this you do not trust the Lord your God who goes before you on your way to seek out a place for you to encamp. Wow. In fire by night and cloud by day to show you the way in which you should go. Do you realize that as they walked in the wilderness, God went before them and found the perfect place for them to camp every night. Cleared it out. Cleared the vipers out. Cleared the snakes. Cleared the wild animals. God prepared a place for them every night. Does this sound like a God that wants you to die in the wilderness? This is your God. I want, to, I want you to hear this and see yourself in it. If you look back and you see nothing but hardship and you don't understand how God could have been there all that time, you're looking at the wrong things. This whole time, God has walked before you and He's walked with you. And if you'd only see the times that He carried you, not only when He carried you, but He made a place for you to camp. He guided you to that place. If you'd only listen. Then the Lord heard the sound of your words remember they shouldn't have said all those things and took an oath saying not one of these men this evil generation shall see the good land which I swore to give your fathers except Caleb the son of Jephunneh he shall see it and to him and to his sons I will give the land on which he has set foot because he has followed the Lord fully in another place in numbers when he talks about Caleb going in he said he has a different spirit he has a different spirit so I want to speak to you, to people who have a different spirit. I want, you to, I want you to be the people that have a different spirit. And when everybody around you starts getting afraid and dismayed and discouraged and starts doubting what God has said and start wondering if it really is the will of God, I want you to be the people that have a different spirit because two people out of all those people went into the promised land. Are you going to be the two? You're going to be those people that say, no matter who, and I mean, it could be your Christian friends that tell you not to believe what you believe. But God is not going to grade you on a curve. And you're not going to get to heaven and God's going to say, well, I understand, you just had some stupid friends. God's going to say, did you believe me? Did you believe me? There'll be rewards, friends. Jesus, He took the full wrath. He took all your punishment. There won't be punishment for you on that day if you've really received. If you've had faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says He bore the full wrath. But there will be rewards for those that endure. There will be crowns. There will be wreaths. There's going to be victory for those that overcome. Here's what He says. Except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it, and to him and his sons I will give the land on which he set foot because he's followed the Lord fully. The Lord was angry with me also on your account. This is Moses. Saying, not even you shall enter there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter there. Encourage him, for he will cause Israel to inherit it. Moreover, your little ones, who you said would become a prey, they cursed their own kids and said, our kids are going to die. Our kids are going to be punished. 
He said, your little ones who you said would become a prey, and your sons who this day have no knowledge of good or evil shall enter there. And I will give it to them, and they shall possess it. Listen, he said, I will give it to them. He doesn't say they'll go and they'll figure out how to do what you couldn't do. He says, I'm going to give it to them. But as for you, turn around and set out for the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. We're going to stop there. He goes on for quite a way and recounts everything. But I wanted to stop there because that was where Hebrews 3 really referred to, was that moment. I believe that God speaks to you all through your life. I believe that there are many moments. And I believe God has got a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth chances to. I mean, He gives you chance after chance. But I will tell you, there are moments in your life where you stand on the edge of the very thing that's been promised. Those are the moments that it looks least likely for you to be there. It looks least likely that it's going to work. Do you understand that the time they were most discouraged was when the time they had their toes in the promised land? That's when they were most discouraged. That's when the fiery darts and everything else. I mean, you think about it. When's the enemy going to throw all his stuff at you? When you look like you're about to win. That's when you throw, that's when you throw everything. Those boys at Normandy had a rough time getting on the beach. But it's because the enemy knew. They get on this beach, there's no stopping them. They take this, they take France back. They're right next door to Germany. So let's give them the fight all we can handle. I mean, they weren't ready for the attack, but everything they had on hand was poured out on those, those allies. As they stormed the beach in Normandy, they fired every gun they had, every missile. They held nothing back. This is not a time to preserve animal. The Axis powers threw everything they had at them to stop them from getting on that beach. And perhaps that's what's happening in your life. You wonder why? I thought I had this right. I thought I had it figured out. I've been serving the Lord for this many years, and it's never been as hard. If this was God's will, it wouldn't be this hard. And you know better than that. I'm not talking to people who never thought about this before. You know better than that. And when it comes at you the hardest, that's the time you need to know. Press now. You may have your toes in the very promised land. Close with this little anecdote. I have a book. I don't know if I might have told you this before. I have a book that was written by a man named Eugene Sledge. And he recounts the story of, of his battles. He fought in some pretty tough battles in, in the World War II in the Pacific, specifically at Peleliu and Okinawa. And uh, he was a mortar guy. And so, you know, he's in the mud. He's getting fired at. I mean, it was a rough job. He said there was one night where it was so rainy and muddy and dark, he couldn't even tell where the enemy was. They couldn't tell where the enemy was. So they're just kind of firing because he's at the back and he has to fire these mortars and they, they put these shells in these tubes and boom, it shoots them out and explodes where they land right so you're trying to aim these things but you don't know where the people are that's pretty tough he said we'd fire where we thought they were he said but all of a sudden when they'd start firing back at us really heavy we knew we'd hit the spot and we kept firing in that direction so he said once they started firing back really heavy like the worst that came back at us we, know we, we knew we were hitting them. We knew we had our aim right. Sometimes, I don't want you to judge God's will by this. You don't look at circumstances to determine God's will. But can I tell you, there are a lot of times you're actually hitting the target. That's why it's coming back so hard at you. Don't rebel against the Lord. I put this in very stark terms for you. This is not a matter of whether somebody is an A-plus leader or a B-leader. This is not about whether or not that uh, you, know, you did pretty good or real good. When you stop believing God, that's not a small thing. Someone who stops believing God is described as rebelling and described as an evil heart. Now listen, God is a loving God. He's a merciful God. He's a forgiving God. I don't want you to go through life going, that was me. How can you ever love me again? He loves you right now. But stop rebelling. Just stop rebelling. Turn your heart and just say, okay, I believe you now. That's all you've got to do. You can't, don't go back in a time machine and try to fix what you did before. God doesn't need you to do that. He says, forgetting what lies behind, I press forward. Forget what's behind you now. Get over it. It's done. It's under the blood. You moved on. Move on. 
and don't rebel against God. You find yourself frustrated this week, dismayed, discouraged, beaten down, not wondering why things are working, wanting to throw things across the room, becoming short-tempered with the people that love you. Stop for a moment, close your door, and get in the presence of God. Get your Bible out until you can come out of that hole, because that hole doesn't lead anywhere good. And until you can say what God says, don't say anything at all. Use the thumper policy on your life. And say, if I've got nothing good to say, I don't say anything at all. If I can't speak in line with God, if I can't confess, because to confess means to say the same thing. If I can say the same thing as God, I'm allowed to open my mouth. But if I can't, shut up. Keep that as a rule, as your rule for life. And you're going to win no matter what you do. And I want you to be encouraged. I don't want you to be discouraged tonight. I don't want you to think, oh, I wonder if that's me. I want you to be encouraged to believe God when everyone around you, Christians included, tell you it's crazy. You believe God. And if they can't go into the promised land, that's their business. But you be a Joshua and Caleb because there are people who come after you, your sons and your daughters included, that need you to stand. Don't let anyone's heart melt around you. Encourage one another as long as it's still called today. You see someone falling behind, you be a gnat. You be a bug. You be a gadfly that talks to them until they stop rebelling. Just, and you're not, you're not getting on to them. You're not beating them up. You're not slapping them across the face. It says encourage them. If you get over there and go, you know how evil you are, you know how terrible you are, you know how bad this is that you're doing that, that's discouraging. What encourages them? The Word of God. You happen to have it. It's in your heart, it's in your mouth, it's on your lips. Encourage your brothers, encourage your sisters. Don't let them have an evil, unbelieving heart. But say, walk on into the promised land. Do what Joshua and Caleb did. And they were so passionate about it, they ripped their clothes. You might not have to do that. That's how passionate they were. That if anybody's going to fall in this wilderness, it's not by our hand. Blood's not on our hands. We did everything we could to convince them to go in. And in fact, because Moses encouraged Joshua, God said Joshua will cause them to inherit it. That's the kind of leader you need to be.